Hello. Hi. Hi. So nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you too. I'm Liz. It's nice to meet you, Liz. It's nice to meet you, Courtney. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Gyno Girl. Is this the part where we should just start chanting vaginas, vaginas, vaginas? (laughs) For this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Courtney and Liz, two social workers in Kentucky, who took the time to speak with me about what being a social worker involves and who took the time to share some of their experiences with me. I'll be honest, I had a fairly narrow concept of what being a social worker meant before speaking with Courtney and Liz. So we're thinking, what is a social worker? <laughs> Can I Google it? Yeah, we're gonna Google it really fast so we know what Google says. And okay. then, then I think we're going to go go off of what we feel. I probably should look at the National Association of Social Workers definition. Graduates of schools of social work use their knowledge and skills to provide social services for clients who could be individuals, families, groups, communities, organizations, or society in general. Social workers help people increase their capacities for problem solving and coping. They help them obtain needed resources, facilitate interactions between individuals and between people in their environments, make organizations responsible to people, ooh, I like that, and influence social policy. Social workers may work directly with clients addressing individual, family, and community issues, or they may work at a systems level on regulations and policy development, or as administrators and planners of a large social service system. I co-sign that. (laughs) That's a good one. Like, I'd say, like, the core values of social work are, like, my kind of guiding values for how I try to live my life, you know, in terms of if like we all truly lived by that, like what would that look like? Like if, if every, we looked at every person like through this like lens of like worthiness, like you are worthy of health and well-being and, you know, economic prosperity and opportunity and love and compassion, like that's life-changing, world-changing stuff, you know, and um, yeah. It's really yeah. hard. It's hard right now. Maybe we should talk about how our work intersected and how like we came together. Yes. I was working with a public defender's office and I was running into a lot of healthcare issues in the prison and the jails. I reconnected with Liz on Facebook. We just had some really good conversations about women's health in the justice system. I work for an organization that does um, training and technical assistance around reproductive health. We do training for social service providers on how to make good referrals for all reproductive health care, but specifically we focus in on information um, around um, abortion access and abortion care specifically because it's the area of pregnancy options that's the most stigmatized and the least talked about having those conversations and training with service providers, our goal is always to help them feel more comfortable navigating those conversations, feeling like they have all the resources and the information about our our rapidly shifting and changing legal system and how the changes in the law and changes in climate are then going to impact clients' ability to receive care. So um, we keep our conversations very client-centered. We always say like client-centered, not political you're going to have clients that are going to need things that you may or may not agree with. So 
how are you going to maintain your professional role and uphold your ethics of your profession and get clients to the services that they need? Well, before I came to this job doing training and technical assistance, I worked in a community health center, a federally qualified health center. I'm a clinical social worker, so I did mental health care. And several times we had a situation where one of the nursing staff came to get me and they would say like, hey, we have this girl with a positive pregnancy test and um, she wants to talk about abortion and I don't feel comfortable having that conversation with her. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm the social worker. Um, I'm happy to do that and make sure, you know, we get her whatever resources she needs. There were just so many barriers. Like, I mean, you know, we have um, a really large Latino immigrant population mm-hmm. in in Lexington, where okay. where I am. And so, um, there's a lot of people that were coming to our clinic from that community. And some folks had very recently arrived in our community, and so um, maybe weren't as familiar with the health system or what services were available. I had several clients that didn't know abortion was legal in the United mm-hmm. States because they were coming from another country and, and just hadn't, you know, they just weren't, they didn't know. So at that point I realized, wow, like as a service provider, I have a whole lot of power, like in terms of the information that this patient, this client received. It's always just really important to think about like procedures, you know, like of like how, what is this actually? So yeah, you had this training, like, yeah, we came in and we talked about it, but like, what are some like real practical things that the, the people, the trainees mm-hmm. now can do as a result yeah. of the training to really make a difference and make an impact with client? What would help a person like someone who's maybe a little bit less bold yeah. or like a little more tentative around it? Like, you know, what, what do they need? Do they need, you know, a brochure? Do they need to just know where the resources are or do they simply need to feel empowered? Like that, that this is part of their job and it's okay to like look at your client's whole being and like personhood and really think about what would be helpful for them. Like it, it's not outside of the box. Like it should be really what we do anyway. Social workers forget that there's a code of ethics. There's a really strong code of ethics and it is about being empowering, being client-centered, whatever they want within reason, right? We're not talking about like cheeseburgers, but we're talking <laughs> about like real like, valuable things that you, we can advocate for them. And it's not my choice to say whether or not they can get that, right? I think that's part of the social work teaching power where you can say, okay, you're in jail right now. You can't get on the phone. You have limited resources, but I can be outside. I can be advocating for you every single day, making a bunch of phone calls, calling people, emailing people. And I always say that in our training, like, oh my gosh, like the good news is it isn't about us. Like, yeah. because what pressure that would be like to feel like I was literally responsible for every decision that my client made. Like I'm not, you know, my, my, my role and my responsibility is ensuring that they had all the information in front of them and all the resources possible to make the decision that was best for them. Period. So like, you know, making it not about you is actually really freeing. That doesn't mean like you shirk responsibility or you don't care and you don't put your all into it. You do. But at the end of the day, there's a certain amount of, having to let it go and radical acceptance. I would say like we're humans doing human services. Some days you do just, you do want to cry in your car. And you know, other days you're ready to like, you know, take to the streets and just, you know, but it's luckily not all crying in the car or all taking to the streets because I don't think I could do that. No, I I don't think I could do that either. Social workers need to have conversations amongst other social workers to have these conversations so we can feel empowered in the moment to say, 
is this what you want to your client, right? And so I actually got to have that moment with a client who was homeless, dealing with an addiction, in jail. She had gotten raped. I had gone to the hospital with her. Um, and then four months later she had gotten picked up and then, and she showed me her belly. Um, and she was refusing to tell the jail that she was even pregnant because she knew that they were going to give her like some extra drugs and like an extra sandwich. And she didn't want the attention and she didn't want that extra food. You know, she, she's a person that I'm always going to think of when it comes to having these conversations because she shouldn't have had to hide a pregnancy in jail basically what they're doing is giving them pregnancy tests and that's kind of it. Um, you know, no one's having conversations even about like how to prevent pregnancy or, you know, here, you know, like this is how, this is how you access condoms or this this is what a birth control pill looks like. Or, I mean, like the education piece is the biggest piece. I think even you're not even really, you don't even need to talk so much about abortion because everyone knows what that is. You need, but you do need to talk about reproductive health Mm -hmm. and what that really means. Mm Yeah, and like what stands in people's way of getting there. You have to like not view like these things, these issues through your own experience. I mean, it might be easy for you. Maybe you have a car, you know, and you could just drive to the health department, you know. Like there's a lot of people I work with or was working with when I did direct service. They didn't have a car. They didn't have folks to watch their kids. You have to ask for a ride. And somebody's all nosy about where you're going and what you're doing. It like breaches your ability to keep things private. And, you know, it's just... There's a lot of, there's a huge lack of empathy, I think, currently yeah. just going on in our country, but specifically even like within, you know, health and social services, regardless of whether it is what you want to do, it's just, it's not, a, it's not an easy choice. Both of us are really plugged into the policies and the legislation that's happening. And I think we did that because as soon as you enter social work, you're, you are working with the policies that you had no idea how or why it was created but yet you have to follow it and your clients follow it and suddenly you're questioning all of these policies and, and what's really happening so i'm not there to advocate for what i believe i'm there to advocate for what i've seen and what i've seen fail in terms of like my client it is the stereotype that we're just going into people's houses taking people's children yeah. and then leaving devastated families nationwide um, and then um, not doing anything to solve any problems. We are on Law and Order SVU, like taking babies, and it yeah. is unfortunate because I remember just telling people like, if you want to like do meaningful work and you enjoy working with people, like you will find a fit in social work. Come all ye tender-hearted, we do entreat both far and near. Because social workers are literally everywhere. I mean, like hospitals, clinics, um, palliative care, hospice, um, mental health, substance abuse, violence against women. I had some friends that were like, doesn't it bother you to just listen to the like tragedy of the world all the time? And I'm like, well, do- shouldn't it bother you too? Like that the tragedy of the world exists? I yeah. mean, you know, you're in the world too. There's a reason why people are on the bottom, not because they want to be there, not especially not because they deserve to be you know and I love being part of a profession that's like no you don't deserve to be there and you're not the problem it's the system I literally had a conversation earlier today my client had really internalized the fact that she deserved to be in jail and she deserved to get the sentence that she got based upon however they decide you know a, a judge decided it and I told her I said I said what do you think do you think that you've been in jail long enough to be quote unquote rehabilitated 
Um, and she's like, well, actually. And though some assail me, I will not falter. Clients that have burned all their bridges in life with all their family members, all their friends. You know, a lot of my clients are homeless. A majority of them are homeless. You know, and when you say to them, no, I trust you to make decisions, you know, and I'm going to be there for you, it becomes more powerful than you think. There are literally some people that have never had one person yeah. like that in their life, like that has said, like, you are worthy. I see you. Maybe you've done messed up things. Like, we all have done messed up things, but that doesn't make you any less deserving of good things in your life because you've made some mistakes. You know, like, I don't want anyone to judge me on my worst life decision. Yeah. You know, I always say to my clients, there's no such thing as bad people. People just make bad decisions. I think about that a lot. Like, how human are the interactions or is the whole agency having with the clients, right? Because I feel like we're talking to someone in sometimes their worst moments, right? So they got arrested for whatever it was. Um, and you know, like they're super vulnerable. They may be telling you things that they didn't tell anybody else in their entire life. They may have never told that story to anyone. I think that it's very important to understand that like, they may have never said that out loud and you need to acknowledge that when you hear something like that. Because if you're really paying attention, you can feel that connection between you and the client. I tell my clients this every single time um, I see them, I said, I'm here to tell your story. I'm here to humanize you in front of the court and in front of the judge and the prosecutor and everybody else who is just looking at you as a case number. The need for networks of like-minded service providers, I think are gonna be all the more important now, you know, like as people, as we're trying to help people navigate all of these new restrictions and barriers and difficulties like it's gonna whatever we can do to remove barriers by like getting to know each other and knowing different agencies and like you know knowing where the cracks are you know yeah. to get through I actually remember a point that was really interesting in the training we did with Courtney's um, staff there was a young woman who I thought was really impressive and she said like in this current climate, I want to make sure my clients get what they need. And I was like, you know, how sad that like the climate we're in is that terrible that like people even feel like hesitant to share information because they desperately want their clients to get what they need. And they're like, oh, I can't like publicize this new treatment facility because then they're going to fill up and all the people I'm working with aren't going to be able to get in. And so it's yeah. just, it's really sad. That was really tough. I remember her saying that. And I remember thinking, that is the exact opposite thing that I would ever say. I feel that, but on the other side of it, I'm like, no, we share everything. You know, like I'm a social worker. I will share my resources. Mm -hmm. I will let you know. If I have a back door, I'm going to share it with you. And I think that a lot of people are going to try to help you as much as they possibly can. Um, but there's just always a wall. And so I'm just always waiting for it. So there always has to be more than one plan. All the social workers that I know always know that there's a plan A, there's a plan B, there's a plan C. And that's the part where you can't make anyone, especially adults, right? You can't make anyone do something that they don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. So you have to let it go if they don't follow the plan that you came up with. Even if they agree to it, even if they seem excited about it, even if they're like, oh, this is the best plan ever, you're going to save my life, it's amazing. If they don't do it, it's not on you, it's on them.
I was thinking we we haven't even talked about the systems of oppression that affect yeah. all of our clients. So like being able to understand the context in which people are suffering and why they're suffering and that these external factors play a role in that is something I think really unique to social work. It is my privilege to be able to forget about some of those systems of oppression as a white person and you know, like coming from you know more of like a middle class background and things like that. At the same time, my clients can't. And you know, I have to make sure that I stay aware of what's happening. I have to bring it to the table. Like, I want to say, no, I don't understand your experience as a black man in this society. You know, like, so I need you to tell me what it is that you need the most because I cannot dictate that at all. You know, that we are called to like recognize like racism and oppression and all of the isms and how they impact folks and like how our own biases and privileges like impact us as service providers and how we provide service. And so, you know, owning that you have white right. privilege and that that is something that could drastically impact how you deliver services if you let it. Never dismiss or minimize like yeah. communities of color and their suffering or their pain. Believing people, Absolutely. just like believing people and trusting people about their own experiences. How is it, um, I'm now like stuck in my mind, how is it that there are enough social workers for the amount of clients that there are possibly? How yeah. There's not enough social workers for the clients that there are. What made you start to explore social work? I mean, it's really gonna, I mean, it sounds really cheesy, honestly, but like when I decided to get my master's in social work was when Barack Obama got elected the first time. Um, and so I really was full of hope and change and I decided to get my master's in Tulane in New Orleans, post Katrina. Um, and I wanted to go down there and do the good work. Um, and I felt really called to do that. and. It led me to this, which is exactly where it was supposed to lead me. So I'm exactly where I needed to be. And I wouldn't, it, it's so cheesy, but it wouldn't have happened without Barack Obama getting elected. It would not have happened. Um, you know, I just, I was in San Francisco at the time. We were in the streets celebrating. And I was like, you know what? Now is the time for me to get back involved in my community and my life and, you know, re-engage with, with, the rest of the world because I was pretty disengaged at that point. I should have wrote him and told him like, you know, this is why I became a social worker because of you, Barack Obama. Why I became a social worker. Um, I was a crappy teacher. No. <laughs> Can't get bored in social yeah. work. So. No, every day is different. Yeah, every day. That's pretty much the best part. Same day, different fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same yeah, day. Different way. Same, yeah, kind of. Same, yeah, day, different yeah, same fire. day, different fire. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, Thank I'm going to let you all go. Um, enjoy your evening together. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you. Have a you, good day. You too. Bye. You too, Bye. Bye, you all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Gyno Girl and for joining in the conversation. I'd also like to give a special thanks to Courtney and Liz for not only being their wonderful selves and for all the work that they do, but for also taking the time out of their days to speak with me and share with me. I'm so grateful. That's all for now. I look forward to speaking with you all again soon.